0: Welcome to Inside Israel News, your home for unbiased and thorough analysis of Israeli news politics, current events in the Middle East, and world news. Or as the internet trolls say, mouthpiece of the Zionist conspiracy, spokesman for the elders of Zion, highly paid propagandist of the Mossad. Yeah, no. This is Inside Israel News. I'm your host, Isaac Kite. Welcome back, insiders. I recently had the opportunity to speak before the Dallas Jewish Conservatives Group uh, in uh, Dallas, Texas. Had a great time there. uh, Had some really great questions. So while I probably won't post every one of my speaking engagements here, because that could get monotonous, uh, the questions were really remarkable. And I thought uh, the Q&A especially would be good uh, for uh, for your listeners. And also... uh, you know, for for my insiders, uh, maybe just kind of a quick recap of how we got where we are. I've been focused on you know the minutia of what's been going on with this election and what have you. So I kind of tell the overarching story of uh, what's been going on lately. So uh, good quick recap and some great Q and A at the uh, Dallas Jewish Conservatives. So with that, no further ado, I will pass you over to the audio. A uh, few audio issues. Obviously, it's a live stream of an event, so there's a little bit of background noise uh, because there was an audience, and there's a little bit of uh, adjusting the camera and what have you, but uh, pretty good, all things considered. So I hope you enjoy. Uh, As uh, he so graciously noted, I am Isaac Kite. Hello, Dallas. Hello. And I'm here to talk about uh, Israeli politics and uh, recent exciting events in Israel. So let me see, I know where I am, I know who I am, and I know what I'm here to talk about. So I guess I've got a leg up on Joe Biden. Uh, So we talked, as alluded to earlier, uh, a few years back, I had the opportunity to go to Israel during my uh, MBA at Bar-Ilan University, which is one of Israel's two top business schools. We like to think it's the top business school, those of us who are Bar-Ilan alumnus, but uh, you know, In any case, it's one of the top two for sure. And uh, while I was there, of course, one of my classmates knows a member of the Knesset because everyone in Israel knows everyone else. It's a small country. Everybody knows somebody. And I got a chance to volunteer for the State Control Committee. Now, uh, in the US, we have uh, multiple houses of our state legislature. We have uh, a separate executive. So the committees of Congress do a lot of the oversight, right? They're supposed to bring in the witnesses, they're supposed to ask the tough questions. They're supposed to, uh, they don't always. Uh, In Israel, the checks and balances all kind of have to be built into one house. So what they have is the State Control Committee. And its job is to, I'm gonna say, get the government in trouble, basically. To investigate, to ask the tough questions, to make sure that uh, everyone's behaving themselves, right? and uh, Bibi Netanyahu had just come to office and of course so there I was uh, volunteering for the State Control Committee for its then chair Joel Hasson uh, of the uh, and their offices the committee meeting room is in the Knesset building their offices are at Jason Hall and next to that hall is the defense committee meeting room now if you're familiar with the intelligence meeting room in Congress this is a hermetically sealed room. You can't get cell signal in there. It is, you couldn't, you couldn't plant a listening device if you wanted to. When the Israeli Defense Committee meets, it is top secret of top secret. and Nobody's getting information out there. And so every Monday morning, Bibi Netanyahu, evening, and Oliver Lieberman, all the big names of Israeli politics, would walk right by my office into the, the Defense Committee meeting room and <laughs> I get to watch them going. Uh, now, I wasn't there to be a tourist, of course, but I did get a chance to meet everybody, uh, including Bibi, and uh, shake hands and, and say hi. When you look into the eyes of some of these Israeli leaders, you see a conviction that you don't necessarily see in politicians here in the U.S. Uh, these are some very, very tough people. Okay, uh, Bibi Netanyahu, in 1972, he and Ehud Barak stormed a plane together plane had been uh, hijacked, there were terrorists trying to get uh, some of their buddies released from prison, right? They stormed this plane together and saved most of the passengers. So they're a little bit tougher. They've had to do a lot of things that we don't necessarily encounter here in the U.S. We have a few politicians, uh, like Dan Crenshaw, who are really, really tough people who've done some great things for their country, but not quite like the Israelis have. That generation, Bibi Netanyahu, Ehud Barak, some of these guys, they really went through a lot to protect this route. And because they did that so well, they've now created a younger generation of politicians, people like Yair Lapid, who's a former journalist. Uh, his father was a political leader. Uh, general Benny Gantz, who's uh, been a mostly a peacetime general. is an the Air Force general, former IDF chief of staff. And so these leaders are not quite the same, I won't say the same caliber, but they're not quite the same as the leaders of the older generation, including Vivian so Bibi's legacy right, going forward from there. Uh, he was prime minister for a few years back in the '90s, and then was appointed as finance minister by Ariel Sharon in 2003. Uh, made an incredible political comeback. It's kind of an amazing story if you want to go back and listen to it. And I talk about it a lot in podcasts. So you can get the details there. But the uh, the essence of his work there was freeing up the market. Right? Israel was founded by Sort of democratic socialist movement, like David Ben Gurion, and Bibi freed up the banks. He freed up the markets. He made sure that Israeli businesses could prosper. In addition to this, uh, Israel entered a kind of a new security situation after the peace talks, uh, and Bibi came back to being prime minister. He made sure that it was secure. So, Bibi Netanyahu to most Israelis represents security and prosperity, because the last 20 years have been very good for Israel. The Israeli economy has exploded. It's the fastest growing economy in the developed world. One of the things I did for the State Control Committee was help to uh, draft a letter to the OECD thanking them for admitting Israel. And that's when Israel basically stopped being a developing country, per se, and became a developed country, uh, joining the developed world. All right, so fast forward to recent events. Uh, Bibi represents prosperity and security, and he's very popular. You see what happens when they're very popular politicians. The establishment starts looking for ways to get rid of him. And they're even he just keeps winning every election. He's winning. He's winning. So they hit him with four charges. Now, these charges are uh, circumstantial. Uh, the evidence is a little bit weak. But they're trying to assert that he had these quid pro quos, this corruption, to uh, you know, make deals with businesses and what have you that were not right. Well, The attempt to get Bibi out of office didn't work. In 2019, he still won, even his natural allies. But one party wouldn't sit in government with him. And uh, we'll we'll talk about the structure of the parliament in just a second here. Because that one party wouldn't sit in government with him, he couldn't form a coalition government, and he couldn't govern. And then the other side tried to form a government, and they couldn't find a coalition, because, of course, those who would sit with Bibi wouldn't sit with them. And what happened? We went to a second election. Now, this just doesn't happen in parliamentary systems. A second election? These systems are built on compromise. But they wouldn't make any compromises. They wanted to out, and they wouldn't work with him. They say, well, he's been charged with crimes. We won't sit in government with him. He's corrupt. No matter how popular he was, he couldn't form a government. Now, back in 1984, Israel had a similar situation. But the two big parties made a big compromise together and they sat in the government. That was back in the days of Yitzhak and But there was no compromising this time. So they had a second election. You know what happened? Nobody won. So they had a third election. And this is getting crazy. Three elections in two years? This is insane. This is Meshiga. This is crazy. What's going on here? Why? Because the system is built on compromise, and the compromises were breaking down. Okay? In a multi-party proportional system, people don't vote for individual leaders, right? They don't vote for, like we do here, we have a congressional district, and you elect one person to represents you. Everyone votes nationally for a political party. And those political parties earn seats based on their percentage of the vote. So if you earn about, say, 25%, 120 seats in the right? So if you earn about 25%, you get about 30 seats. And the idea is, the parties are supposed to reach a compromise that reaches to a majority. 61 seats. And when you can't get a majority, when we can't get compromised, the whole system goes down. This creates a constitutional crisis in Israel. It was a disaster. Three elections, right? And still no government. Well, then the COVID crisis hit, and they formed an emergency government on a short basis, and then another election in 2021. Now, this time I covered it on podcast, Inside Israel News, so you can listen to all of my <laughs> That commentary on that, first 15 episodes of the podcast are about that, described all the parties and everything. And after that election, once again, nobody had won. But this time, uh, all of the parties that were against Bibi came together and formed what they called the Change Block Coalition. And this was eight political parties that represented the far left, the far right. Uh, there was Arab party there, that was like a, a religious nationalist party, essentially pro-Palestinian, uh, but they were in the government primarily to serve the needs of Israeli Arabs. Far be it from you, all this stuff. Oh, Israel's was an apartheid state, no? Israeli Arabs vote; they have political rights like everybody else in the country, and their party served in the government. But this government had too many, you know, too much, too many divergent views. It couldn't hold itself together, and so after a year, it too fell apart. And here we are at election number five in less than four years, right? And so you're you're looking at it, it's like, if the government could have reached a compromise, this whole charges issue, four years ago, we wouldn't be here. Election after election after election, no result. How do we get get an end to this? So this election was a little different. This time, everyone on the right came out in great numbers, much higher turnout. People weren't as excited on the left, and there were some significant changes there. And Bibi Netanyahu and his allies finally won a majority. They won this majority basically by putting together this new political party called Religious Zionists that is, uh, you can hear everyone describe it as far right. It represents a significant shift in Israeli culture, Israeli Israeli politics. Originally, Zionism was kind of a secular leftist ideology uh, that was sort of Jewish nationally, had this idea of Jewish national identity, but it wasn't especially religious. Now something has changed in Israeli society, and a growing number of religious Jews are voting, and they're voting for this party on the, on the what people say, far right. But basically, a new religious Zionism has uh, emerged. And now Bibi has a majority, and so now he's working on forming a government. They're kind of at the last minute now, they're putting little pieces together, dotting the I's, topping the T's, trying to figure out how do we all work together. And it's a little complicated, you've got the usual political back and forth, you know, if you listen to the podcast, you know, I love the political back and forth. Oh, this guy is a threat to democracy, if we elect him, we'll never vote again, and, you know, oh, these people will sell the whole country out to the bad guys, it's it's great, you know, political discourse. Uh, you know, everybody's yelling back and forth. Uh, you know, everybody's yelling back and forth at each other. So Benigno is saying, "Those guys on the far right, they're going to be the prime minister." In, in fact, even if Biggie's prime minister in name, you know, and Biggie's, uh, uh telling everybody, "No, no, no, don't worry about it. You know, we're we're still going to have a normal government, right? Not going to ban the gay pride parade. No, that's not going to happen." But uh, at the same time, of course, uh, they're working on the final, you know, eyes and T's. The religious Zionists are making sure that they kind of hold BBC feet to the fire on the promises that they want. One of the interesting things about building a coalition like that is that you can kind of get that deal in writing, kind of ink it out. Here's our legislative agenda. Here's who, who's going to be prime minister? Who's going to be the finance minister? Who's going to be this and that? So you get that stuff worked out in advance. So they're working out that uh, those little details there to figure out this particular government. In any case, Uh, it's been completely crazy. Four elections, five elections, nobody, you know, election after election, and no result. And in the end, Bibi Netanyahu was back in office as prime minister. Now a funny thing happened, back in 2013, 2015, we played out the same scenario uh, just like this. And in 2013, they elected a government, Bibi was the prime minister, it was a little bit more center left, center right, of a fair balance. And the left got it in their head that they could get rid of Bibi. And they thought, hey, we'll we'll call an early election and get rid of Bibi. You might remember back then uh, one Barack Obama and his administration spent a lot of public dollars trying to get Bibi out of office. He also went after Stephen Harper in Canada uh, that year, and uh, that's how we ended up with the wonderful Justin Trudeau, right? (laughs) So, You know, U.S. tax dollars going overseas to influence the elections of our closest allies. And who's closer to America than Israel and Canada? So that's when we had that disaster happen. And back when that election was called, when the government broke up, I was just, I used to write for uh, Times of Israel blog back then, and as I was writing, I was just, I was taken aback. And I said, you know what, this is the dumbest thing ever. What's going to happen? The left's going to lose. Bibi's going to win. And the government's just going to move farther to the right. Why does that, how does that benefit the left in any way? At least when they're in the government, they can kind of moderate things a little bit. This doesn't make any sense. And a funny thing happened in 2015 BB won, and the government went farther right. Exactly as I had said, uh, exactly as you all knew would happen. Well, once again, we charge BB and we say, we won't work in a government with a corrupt prime minister who's been charged with this and charged with that. Five elections, BB's back in office, and the government is even farther right. The fact is, Israelis feel secure and prosperous when Bibi is in office. They want him to be prime minister, and if that's the will of the people, no matter what political games you play, you can't prevent that from happening. And we're seeing something similar over here, right? January 6th, committee, special prosecutors. We, we're starting to see the same kind of games. Uh, you know, when you have popular politicians that the establishment doesn't like, they try to find some way to shut them. It's frustrating, but we have to put up with it, don't we? In any case, uh, Israeli politics should settle down just a little bit now, one would hope. They should be able to form a government that goes another four years. It should calm down a little bit, hopefully. Um, We don't want to see an election every six months for the next decade. I mean, this is getting ridiculous at this point, right? Uh, Like I said, it's crazy. It's it's, It doesn't make any sense. Why would you do this to yourself? Uh, And you know, we have the people on the left now trying to say, oh, look, maybe he's with these far-right black jobs, and they're way out there on the right. And I'm just sitting here like, well, if you want to compromise, maybe you should have worked with BB instead, right? And he's saying, like, no, no, we can't do that. He's corrupt. He's been charged. Right? So, uh, so this is the situation right Hopefully, like I said, things are going to stabilize. Things are going to work themselves out. If you want to know more about that, listen to the podcast. Uh, when the election kicked off in 2021, I'd been thinking about starting a podcast to talk about Israeli politics for some time. All my friends are always calling, Isaac, what's going on in Israel? Did Bibi win? Did this happen? Did that happen? I you know, I'm telling the same story to 10 different people in 10 different conversations when I could just have a podcast and they can all listen there. I don't have to repeat myself so much. Uh, so, hey, when the election is called, I thought, you know, I need to pull the trigger on this, I just need to so I created Inside Israel News and uh, covered the election. I've been trying to cover news basically on a weekly basis. It's not perfect, but I've been trying to cover events on a weekly basis as best I can. Uh, and it has not been unexciting, right? We had another election and all kinds of stuff going on. So you know, every day something new. Uh, the episode started running a little bit long because I was doing world news a little bit here and there. All this stuff going on in Ukraine and Europe, while interesting is kind of separate from Israel, so now maybe every third episode I do kind of world news on events that kind of relate to Israel and talk about that separately. That way, you can listen to the Israel news episodes; those are just about <coughs> Israeli politics, Israeli news, and then the world news, of course, covers uh, you know everything else that's going on a the world. Uh, these are crazy times; it's just going nuts. Uh, so, you know, things get weird. In any case, if you want to listen. If you know what Apple Podcast is or what Spotify are, then you're good to go. You know how to go there, how to subscribe. Please rate the podcast. That's very important. Love those five stars. It's not perfect. I'll take four. But, uh, you know, your reviews are always appreciated. If you don't know what a podcast is and you don't know what these, what these are, uh, it's on-demand radio, basically, like the Rush Limbaugh show, but you can listen to anytime, anywhere, uh, on your phone or on your computer. And at InsideIsrael.news, clever URL there, uh, you can find the podcast and you can listen there through your browser. So with that, uh, if we can get some questions. Yes, some questions. I'll
1: walk up with the mic, raise your hand, and I'll get over to you. All Hi, right. All right, Rich. White. Well, thanks for uh, being here. Uh, a couple things. One is uh, Israeli news media as uh, far left, uh, the mass media as far left as here. Uh, and this is a two-part question, maybe a two-part question. Uh, is do you see a uh, third party ever developing a, vi- a viable third party ever developing uh, in the U.S. as an observer? Uh, and then the second thing, the third thing
0: is. Is, is the deep state as evil as it is here? Oh, awesome questions. Uh, the Israeli news media is, is a news media. Um, if you're familiar with European politics, then you know that the news media uh, over there is far worse than here. Uh, they're just, they're really nasty. To borrow a word from Donald Trump, they are really nasty. It it, it can get really bad over there. I mean, you know, if you don't agree with it, if you don't tell the line, you're a fascist. You're literally Mussolini. I mean, look at what happened with Maloney and uh, Georgia Maloney over there in Italy. I mean, they're talking about it's 1933, and I'm like, you do know that Italy became fascist in 1922, not in 33, (laughs) and that that was before Hitler and all his psychotic stuff. So, it helps to crack a history book before you start going throwing allegations. Um, The the mainstream media in Israel is is pretty far left, but like the U.S., they have right-wing television as well. So they have Channel 12, for example, that tells the other side of the story. It's funny you say that because I actually have a number of listeners in Israel who listen to my podcast, and they're always telling me, Isaac, we listen to your podcast because we get a much fairer description of what's going on in Israel than we get from any of the media here, because they're all far right or far left. They all have some kind of agenda. I I appreciate that, much. Uh, you know the, the history of third parties in America is uh, is a sad history, so I'm not going to comment on that too much. Although it uh, might be a better question for the next speaker, uh, I will say though that you know getting one political party to adopt the right agenda is usually you know in America the thing. I was talking about the coalitions in America. Our political parties are like pre-made coalitions. When you think about them that way, it kind of changes your. Your view of politics. Instead of having the religious Zionists and Likud and, and Orthodox parties, or have you, we all kind of come together ahead of time, right? Business leaders, small business owners, working class people, conservatives, religious people. We all kind of get together and say, "Well, we're going to be with the Republicans because they're going to do this," and then you know the Republicans give the message, "Hey, we should do this because," so um, you know that that kind of thing. The deep state is evil everywhere, uh, from the European Union to wherever. Um, Sometimes it gets it right, uh, and you see situations like Ukraine where finally we all kind of get on the right, the, the right page. You know, they're the bad guys and we have to stop them. You know, All the billions of dollars, where is all that money going? I don't know about that, but, but at least we kind of sometimes. Uh, the Israeli deep state is, is there too, um, and there go the charges and that kind of thing. The Israeli judiciary, and this is one of the, the problems Bibi's run into, like ninety-seven percent of cases end in some kind of conviction. And basically, in the Israeli courts, you're guilty until proven innocent. Now, they'll go easy on you if you, you know, throw yourself on the mercy of the court. Uh, but of course, if there's any kind of conviction, Bibi won't be allowed to run for office. So that's been his big thing. Um, so there's a lot of talk of judicial reform. And they're actually looking at our system. Like, how about the politicians appoint the judges instead of the judges, kind of small group of insider lawyers appointing themselves? So uh, that may improve things a little bit. I mean, there are ups and downs to politicians appointing judges, as we've seen here in the US, but I mean, we'll see. Got a question up here? Okay, uh three questions, if I may. First, uh, do you think Biden is actually willing to censor Len Gevere? Second, uh, what role and how did I yell your kid manage to cancel another left party on uh behalf? Third, uh, how do you think Vietnam is going to be able to tackle that Lebanon Maritime deal? Right, man, two awesome sets of questions. <laughs> right here, you You guys are great. Uh, for those of you who don't know, Itamar Ben gvir is a member of the Religious Zionist coalition of parties, so this is where it gets complicated. So there are five political parties that are all together on what we call a joint list, where they all kind of run together. It's called Religious Zionists, they're not all one party. Itamar Ben-Gavir runs uh, a party called uh, Otsma Yehudi, or you know, Jewish strength, basically. You know, people say, oh, it's part of the Kahanist ideology. Mayor Kahan is a controversial figure in the Jewish community, but a lot has changed since his time, so I wouldn't be so eager to say, well, these people are exactly like Mayor Khanna. Um, but at the same time, everyone's out there yelling, yeah, oh, he's a right wing nut job, he's a fascist, he's a, you know. Uh, ben Gavir has demanded um, a high office. He's going to be the security minister incoming, and he'll be in charge of uh, managing security in Judea and Samaria, which the international press erroneously calls the West Bank. West Bank of what no one can say. It's always been Judea and Samaria for thousands of years to us, so that's what it's called. In in any case, he'll be in charge of security there, uh, among other things. You know, um, Robert Menendez, a leading Democrat in the the U.S. Senate, already came out and said that uh, the U.S. government would have concerns about Ben Gavir serving in the government. Uh, We're already hearing some agitation from the Biden administration about it. You know they're gonna they're gonna make a thing out of it. The fact is, Bibi is gonna be prime minister. And if you know anything about Bibi Netanyahu, he's the Bibi show. Like Bibi runs the government his way. It's Bibi's way or the highway. That's that's the thing. That's why who is his leader, of religious Zionists all together, and Ben Gavir are making sure that all the I's and T's are dotted in the deal, because they know Bibi will just do what Bibi's gonna do. They're gonna make a thing out of it and they're gonna talk about it a lot. There's not gonna be a lot of substance to it, but. You know, we're going to get every time some Palestinian kid gets their leg hurt because they got a rubber bullet because they were throwing rocks at people and trying to hurt people, we're going to hear, bang of ears, you know. So there's that. Uh, Second question was about Ayelet Shakit. She was part of the Yamina party that joined the change block and kind of fell apart. I want to say, I I don't think Yamina, obviously, Yamina played a big role in the last election. They didn't play so much of a role in this one. But um, there's a lot of talk what he's referring to is uh, the Meretz party. Meretz means vigor. In Hebrew, it's protest, left-wing party. It's been there for years, ever since the beginning of Israel. Uh, You know, the left of the left. uh, They've worked together with the Green Party in the past and that kind of stuff. So you you can kind of get an idea where Meretz is. Uh, They don't really have a reason to exist anymore because the old labor party has moved so far left that they're basically Meretz now so a lot of people have been wondering why do we need this far left party if we've already got a far left party they also had some internal disputes one of their members left the coalition and had some problems and yes uh, there are a lot of people who have been attributing that i had a in the government kind of embarrassing their ads in that proportional system i described there's a uh, threshold a minimum number of votes you have to get in order to earn seats in parliament it used to be there wasn't one and then they made one percent two percent Yair Lapid, curiously, who lost because of that threshold, uh, he raised it to quarter percent back in uh, 2014. In any case, Marets fell below that. And so Meretz is out of the Knesset for the first time in, in history. And so people are like, wow, there's big changes on the left. Meanwhile, Yair Lapid's more free market center-left party has 24 seats, which means that the new Israeli left in the last 20 years, the left has really changed. The new Israeli left is center-left. It's more free market, more focused on social issues, not what Europeans would call social democracy or socialism. So uh, that's been a big change on the left. That's huge. And then uh, the last question, real quick. I'm sorry. Uh, the first one was actually, what's Biden's reaction to the the And the third question was, let's not the Oh, that uh, yeah, Biden's reaction, I think they're going to wait until the government comes together before saying something. But I mean, it's just going to be, it, it, I don't know of any statements just yet, but it, it's not going to be good. Uh, the maritime deal, I mean, I would say listen to the podcast. I could talk about that for an hour. It's a big deal. Um, yeah, Yair Lapid negotiated that at the very end of his uh, time as prime minister. He served as an interim prime minister while the election was pending. Uh, the framers of our system, of course, didn't want to have anything like that. So it's like at one day, you know, President A leaves office and President B takes the oath of office right then and there. Uh, but there's an interim prime minister in Israel. And this deal basically gave up part of a gas field out in the Mediterranean in exchange. They gave that to Lebanon in exchange for Lebanon agreeing to give the rest of the gas to Israel. And it's something like 90 billion cubic feet of gas at this point that Israel has access to. It's huge. That can supply Israel for with its own gas needs for like 12 years. And Europe was starving for gas because of the war, right? So it's a good deal for them. In any case, Israel's going to get some money from that. What's Bibi going to do about it? Um, I don't know that Bibi is going to make any major changes to it. Uh, at the time, he said it would jeopardize Israeli security. So I think the first thing he'll do is make sure with, you know, sit down with the IDF generals and the intelligence community in Israel, who are very sharp, and he'll make sure that uh, there are no security threats. If there are, uh, they may go back and revisit that agreement, but he may also just go ahead and and go forward with it. So... Uh, But Netanyahu did come out shortly before the election, directly declaring that uh, he was going to cancel the effect of that deal entirely. Yeah, but campaign promises. Um, He did say he was going to cancel it. Uh, I'm not entirely sure what he's going to do. Based on his his actions in the past, I think he'll keep most of it. Personal opinion, I could be wrong. At the same time, on the podcast, there's a lot of things I talk about that a week later are the headlines. So, I mean, go ahead. Um,
1: Because you've spent time in the Israeli government and have gotten to see a parliamentary system up close, but because you're also so familiar with ours, and do you think that, I mean obviously we have a lot of fractioning in our two-party system. I mean, you've got far left ends, you've got center, end, we've got far right conservatives, we've got what we've lovingly termed rhinos. Um, but on the outside, our system looks very strong. You know, we don't have elections every six months. However, again, in the Israeli parliamentary system or even in the UK, because you know, they're just set down. You have elections more often. Do you think that the um, parties being smaller and more aligned is better for that country? Or do you think that uh, it's just a weaker system because they can you know, fall apart so quickly?
0: That is an awesome question. It's my favorite question ever. College students tend to ask that question more often. But I'm so glad you asked it. Thank you so much. I love you. Thank you. Um, <laughs> When the American system was founded in the 18th century, no one had thought about anything like our system. People first started talking about proportional systems and, and uh, that kind of stuff. During the French Revolution, and the years after it, Walter was discussing it a little bit in the mid 19th century. Thomas Jefferson wrote a little bit about it after America was founded. But the general consensus of our framers was that you build a system where the compromise is between various institutions of government. Our founders believed that like, you like a House of Representatives, you like a Senate, you have a Supreme Court, you have a president. Everyone's going to defend their power and their power, and that's going to reduce the amount of legislation that goes through and force compromise on the system. The theory behind the, the multi-party proportional system is very different. You have these parties that are much smaller ideological units, more or less, like you were talking about. You know, you have a religious parties. You have you know, kind of like we have, you know, what if we had say a woke party, a Green Party, you know, a more center-left Democrat Party, so on and so forth. That is a fascinating question. The multi-party proportional system forces them all into one place and says, you, you guys figure out how to get along. And you guys have to work together to make a deal. Right? Our system with fixed elections, we were just mentioning, uh, we elect them and then they go do the job on our behalf. And They have to work things out between, say, the House and the Senate and the President and the Supreme Court and all that kind of thing. Which which works better? Uh, Our system is much more stable. And if you look at Britain, for example, they did pass a uh, fixed uh, term Parliament Act, which is a fascinating experiment, right, that now the elections will be automatic every five years, although they've had so much chaos, as you're just alluding to. It hasn't been automatic and it hasn't been stable. but let's just say the, the great blessings that our founders left us with is that elections are regular. We know when they're going to be held, no surprises. And you don't get five elections in two years. And we also don't get uh, you know the instability of coalitions breaking down. We also force compromise into the broader political parties. So there, there's some of that. And we always know who's in charge. Right? There's no interim prime minister. It's like, well, can he make a deal with this people or whatever? If you're president, you're president. Uh, and so there's been a lot of debate even in Israel and other parliamentary systems about this. When parliamentary systems are fairly stable, like Britain up until you know two years ago, uh, they, they do tend to work uh, pretty well, similar to our system. But when they're multi-party proportional systems, they're very unstable. Uh, Israel's been kind of, Israel and Germany are kind of exceptions to the rule. But if you look at Italy, for example, uh, Italy is a disaster. I mean, they, they can't keep a government more than six months. The idea that a government like Maloney's could actually do anything that they, their electoral mandate, and they're automatically fascists, and, you know, uh, and even on the left, Matteo Renzi tried to do some things, and he got thrown out. So, I mean, you know, it can be very, very unstable. Uh, our system just lends itself to greater stability and, and regularity. We just had election. We know exactly when the next election is going to be, and uh, we have a pretty good idea how we're going to get from here question over here. With that as a backdrop, what do you think BB has to uh, or should look for from our executive branch over the next two years? Well, we get a little bit of a sign of that in, um, uh, you know, his first name is Hakim, his last name is escaping me. The new minority leader, yep. yes, yep. Jeffries, yes, thank you. The new minority leader in the House uh, is a more pro Israel person. And I think you're getting a little bit of a sign there uh, where things are going. But uh, at the same time, you know, this administration has shown a distinct cold shoulder to Israel, even with Yair Lapid and the center left uh, involved in the government. So, I mean, uh, what are they going to do to Bibi? They're they're not going to be any warmer. Um, So, I mean, you know, Israel and America get on pretty well, and I I would like to say the relationship is gonna be strong and we're gonna be okay, okay? Things are gonna work out, but it's gonna be cooler than it could be, for sure.
1: Fox News reported uh, in the last couple of days that Israel and the United States are gonna be conducting joint exercises. Frankly, I'm appalled,
0: okay? Any comments about that? So joint exercises are really um, they're a really positive thing. Uh, the, yeah. But but there the idea there is, you know, the Iranians are watching, right? And so American and Israeli forces are getting together and they're practicing together. You know, and Israel holds joint exercises occasionally with Egypt and other countries that they coordinate with. They used to do that a lot with Turkey, but that relationship's been strained. Um, but you know, this this shows the friendship between the two armed forces and that they could launch a coordinated joint strike against an enemy who might look a lot like Iran if they tried to develop a nuclear weapon that could threaten the existence of Israel. I mean, we all know that it was not that many decades ago that the Jewish people lived facing the threat of annihilation. And we're not going to live again in a time where someone could push a button. And threaten half the Jews in the world with annihilation. Uh, and I think the U.S. stands, even even with the Biden administration, I think the U.S. stands by that line of thinking as strongly. I'd like to think as strongly as Israel does. Uh, but you know, we can't let the bad guys win. We've got to stop somehow.
1: There's a new religion. The U.N. is sponsoring it. It's called global climate change. It is a way, and they held it on Mount Sinai and developed a new Ten Commandments. It couldn't be any more blatant. Um, The goal is to take money from the West and give it to the poor countries in the name of climate change, which is nothing but a big scam. And Israel even sent somebody to that, CLP P twenty seven or whatever it was. You know, it's very pluralistic, but they use a lot of religious terms. Doesn't matter what religion, as long as you're in the game, you're good to go. It really concerns me. My daughter lives in Italy, and she was told this winter she can't set her thermostat above 66 degrees. She's always been freezing, so I sent her a blanket for Christmas.
0: And and why is she cold? Because Italian leaders and German leaders have bought so much into this religion. Uh, And uh, I I read an article a few years back called The Martyrdom of St. Greta, which I I exactly like you. Described in religious language the sort of neo-Marxist climate change movement globally. and uh, it's only gotten worse since the craziness I encountered in college. Look, um, it, it's, it's a disaster. It has made Europe weak in the face of Russia, which you know, is the dumbest thing ever. And um, people just, they're so committed to it, even though none of their ideas have any solutions that have anything to do with carbon dioxide. So what Israel is with that, Israel has no oil. They have some natural gas, but they have no oil. And so Israel has been leading the charge for alternative energies. Uh, including nuclear, not because Israel is a believer, and you know, there are certainly people who believe in that, um, but because it's in Israel's best interest that they do so, because then they can provide power. Even if the Arabs say, we won't give you the oil, they can still uh, provide power for themselves. Uh, Israel, like, um, however, unlike Europe, has not been stupid about it. They give lip service to climate change and fighting pollution and all of that, but they haven't sacrificed security for it. That's one thing Israel will not do. Security comes first, and especially when Bibi's in office. And they'll talk about climate change and promote alternative energy, but they will not sacrifice Israel's security. That's here at stuff. So, so I, I hope she stays warm. And uh, I'm very sorry to hear that, but uh, you know, it's it's a sugar, it's crazy. So,
1: uh, yes or no? Are Israeli elections more honest
0: and straight? Uh, transparent than US elections have become? Yes. And why? Because they're all in person on election day. Uh, voting by mail, voting any other way than you walk into a polling place with your ID and your personage uh, is almost unheard of in Europe or what have you. Um, I had this conversation with a, a friend of mine, I don't know, three days after our election in 2020, and uh, they were like, you know, why are Americans all upset? And I said, in Germany. In, Italy, in any of these countries, if 4 in 10 people in the country felt that the election was quirky, what would they do? And you said, well, they'd pass a tough election law. The government would quit. And they'd have another election. They said, well, exactly. We don't really have a system for doing that here in the U.S., but everyone else in the world doesn't allow voting, uh, mail-in voting. Right? It's too insecure. You can't trust it. India is the largest democracy in the world. 400 million-odd people vote every election. They know the results within 48 hours of every election, down to the last detail, and everyone shows up in person. I mean, democracy is not complicated. Uh, so Israelis do it that way. And, and uh, the only the only thing that takes a little extra time is that the IDF soldiers uh, vote, because, of course, a lot of them are on duty and what have you, so their votes take a little bit extra time to count. But that's always the last little bit. Um, Israel did experiment with a little bit of. Um, mail-in voting and what have you during the virus crisis when there was kind of an excuse for that, but very little, uh, and only for those who were vulnerable, highly vulnerable. Now, like voting in person, uh, that's the way to do it.
1: So. Let's give a big round of applause
0: for Isaac Tride, everybody. <laughs>